0: Good evening, everyone. Let us uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask tonight that as we again journey through your scripture, that you would give us understanding, that you would open our minds and our hearts. Father, help us to see that there truly is something about that name. Help us to realize, Lord, that without you, we are nothing. Father, as we study this subject tonight, please bring a conviction that only the Holy Spirit can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Guide my words. Amen. Uh, tonight's subject is on the Millennial Temple. We're going to be dealing of course, speaking about the Millennium tonight. Now, let me just ask you, how many of you have heard of the Millennium? Okay. Um, We're going to take a look at Scripture tonight and we're going to find out the significance of this particular teaching in Scripture and how it has to deal with the very time we're living in now and our preparedness uh, to meet Jesus. So we're going to begin our first Bible text, very familiar text to us now, but now we're going to be looking and another part of this verse or this portion of scripture that we have jumped over throughout the whole meeting. In Ezekiel 28:17, the Bible says of Lucifer, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the where? Ground, I will do what? Lay thee before who? kings, that they may behold thee. Ezekiel 28, 17. That's going to be our focus tonight. What does this text mean? Let's go ahead and go back to the war in heaven. The Bible tells us there, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels. You see the the title up there, heaven was polarized into how many sides? Two. Were were there three sides? No. You had the devil and his angels. And they were accusing who? Jesus, God, and their angels. And so, beloved, there were only two sides to this war in heaven. The Bible goes on to tell us in Revelation 12, 7 and 8, that the enemy, that Satan, prevailed not, neither was their place, that is these fallen angels, found anymore where? In heaven. Now I want you to imagine that. Heaven is a very populous place. Thousands were told, thousands and thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000 of angels abide in heaven. Just imagine what one-third of thousands times thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. An innumerable company must be. Beloved, that is a very, very large number that has left heaven all of a sudden. One third vacant. Bible goes on to tell us. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 19. And we're going to find a principle here. And of course, you know, some quizzes are coming up. So be paying attention. We've read this verse previously. It says, If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the who? Priests and the judges which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent, what? Inquisition or a search and behold if the witness be a false witness and has testified falsely against his brother, then shall he do unto him as he thought or then shall ye do unto him as he thought to have done unto his brother so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. Now this is a principle that God himself lays out. Why? Excuse me, why didn't God follow this principle in heaven? Why could he not follow this principle in heaven? Before you answer me, I want you to notice two verses. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. that, That word simply means darkness in this particular place. We know that hell is not a burning place of fire. The angels are not there. But if he cast them down to hell, that is, out of heaven, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be what? Reserved unto judgment, according to 2 Peter 2, verse 4. Notice again, Jude 1, 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the what? Judgment of the great day. Jude 1, six. Now let's put together what we have learned so far. How many sides in heaven? Two. God's principle, and you'll find this all throughout the Old Testament, is that whenever a controversy arose between two parties, there must be a, a third party. So the question again is, why didn't judgment take place in heaven for Lucifer and his angels? There was no, what? Third party. In other words, here you have the devil and his angels making accusations against God and his angels. Is God going to sit as the judge? I mean, legally speaking, that would be unfair. There must be someone who decides between, because remember again, Lucifer was not going around saying, hey, let's be what? Evil or wicked. Lucifer was under the disguise of a righteous and pure cause. And it was because he was under this disguise that one third of the angels were deceived and listened to his lies. So, beloved, there was no third party in heaven to judge who was right, who was true, and who was wrong. All right. Let's see what the Bible goes on to say. There's a quiz, and we already basically did this quiz. Why didn't the judgment take place in heaven? God and his angels are the who? accused, Satan, and by the way, that word Satan means accuser, and his angels, the accusers. So you've got two parties here, the accused and the accuser. And beloved, even in our court system today, you've got to have a what? A third party. There was no third party in heaven. Every angel, every being in heaven was on one side or the other. What was needed? got it right there jury what is the purpose of a jury jury decides weighs the evidence there was no jury in heaven even though God himself is the judge he is the one being what being accused and all the beings that he has created thus far are on one side or the other not only is a jury needed but God wants to do what Repopulate heaven. One third of the angels have been gone, and the Bible says God is love. He's got this vacant place now, and he wants to repopulate heaven. So now let's see if you can figure out where I'm going. We're gonna look at Ezekiel twenty-eight, seventeen again. The Bible says there, I will cast thee to the ground, I will lay thee before who? Kings that they may behold thee. Now, beloved. Crouched in this this verse, what God was saying to Lucifer was that he was going to bring him before kings that they may behold, or the word means to search out, to search you out. And I can imagine in Lucifer's mind, he, Lucifer's mind, he's going, who are these kings who are going to search me out? Everybody in heaven is on one side or the other. God can't judge. His angels can't judge. That wouldn't be right. There's got to be a what? A third party. And he must be wondering, who are these kings that God is saying he's going to lay me before that they may behold me or search me out or judge me? Another quiz. Who do you think the kings or the third party is before whom Satan will be judged and by whom heaven will be repopulated? I heard. I only heard a couple of answers. This is pretty obvious. It is God's people. Now you say, does the Bible really, you know... Show that we're going to see that tonight. Answers humanity. Notice 1 Corinthians 6 2 and 3. The Bible says here, Do you not know that the saints shall do what? Judge angels. In other words, beloved, there is a reason God could have perfectly, could have, you know, just said, Hey, you know what? Um, Lucifer, I judge you. You're lying about me, and that's it. Case closed. That wouldn't have been fair judgment, would it? God is a God of justice. And he allows himself to be questioned. He allows you to be an opposing party because he has given angels freedom of choice. And God is so merciful. I mean, God could have just said, hey, I'm going to wipe you out. But he says, no, we're going to do something else. And we're told here in 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3, that you and I, part of our design was to do what? Judge angels. God created a third party. That was not around when the controversy what? Started. Notice again. Genesis 1.26. When God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. What does it mean when you have dominion? It means you are a king. You are set up over something. God says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and do what? Replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. In other words, God now creates Adam and Eve and He says to them, I want you to be kings over this what? Over this earth. Now, why do you think God sets them up in this way? He he gives them a, a, a mission, a commission. I want you... To rule over this planet. Tell me, why do you think God would do that? Third party. Okay, we're dealing with the third party. Something about the third party. Why do you think God would, would give Adam and Eve this mission or this task? To subdue the earth, to rule over it, to be good stewards of the earth. Okay, almost, but, but not quite. All right, let me go ahead and stop having you guys in uh, suspense here. Satan, as he beholds this creation of man, or uh, this creation called mankind, and as he understands this principle that there is gonna be these kings, that he's been told that you're gonna be laid or, or judged before these kings, and as Satan sees Adam and Eve created, I believe, beloved, that he gets the picture, wait a minute, are these the ones that are supposed to what? Judge me? Why is he telling them to be kings or dominate the earth? If these are indeed the ones that are to judge me, it's very simple then, what is Satan going to try to do? Spoil their what? Spoil their judgment disqualify the the jurors. Now I want you to notice, no jurors, what do you have? Stalemate. You only have two sides. This thing can go on forever and ever and ever and ever. God puts two trees in the Garden of Eden representing two principles. One is the tree of life, And one is a tree of knowledge of what? Good and evil. And beloved, as you could consider both these trees, they represent the two principles. Remember the two spirals that we saw? One represented what? The self-sacrificing law of love, and the other represented the self-centered law of selfishness. And both these trees are now placed in the Garden of Eden because, beloved, God must check out the jurors. God must see if the jurors are competent jurors. If the jurors will be capable of laying hold of this gigantic task of judging who? Angels. And on the ground... And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis two nine. The Bible goes on to say in verse 16 and 17 and the Lord commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day you eat thereof you shall surely what? You shall surely die. In other words, this Judgment is very important to God. And God says, Listen, I want you guys to be good kings. Subdue the earth. Keep control of your planet as I keep control of heaven. I've given you a little planet here as a little test. And I want to see if you're able to have dominion over every creeping thing. And that question was that serpent one of the creeping things? That serpent was one of the creeping things that God told Adam and Eve to have dominion over. Is that right? And so, God here, in light of what has taken place in heaven, has given Adam and Eve this test. Dominate everything. Don't allow anything to cast you off your throne, so to speak. Why the test? There are requirements for a juror. How many of you know that? Yeah, you don't just say, hey, I want you to be a juror and I want you to be a juror. You got to search out and see if the juror is competent to be a juror. Amen. I want you to notice some of the requirements for a juror. Number one, the person or the juror must be a law abiding citizen of the country in which the trial is to be held. Is that interesting? I hope you're thinking with me. Number two. He must not have been convicted of a felony. Number three, he must be of a sound mind. Number four, he must have a good moral character. The word is not up there. Good moral character. These are the tests for a juror. And so when God places Adam and Eve in the garden, he's simply trying to see, listen, I've created them perfect, but they have freedom of what? Freedom of choice. Are they going to be law-abiding citizens? Are they going to be clean, even when tempted? Are they going to be of a sound mind? And are they going to maintain a good what? Moral character. Because this judgment must be a perfect judgment. We can't have corrupt jurors up there in heaven deciding who is right and who is wrong. Amen. So notice Genesis 3, 4, and 5. The Bible says, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. You remember that verse? We we've read it quite a few times. Uh, For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And you shall be as gods. Now the Hebrew word here for gods is Elohim. Not only does it mean God, but it also means judges. Interesting. Satan says, listen, in the day you eat of this fruit, then you will be judges. Knowing good and evil. When, beloved, the opposite was true. In the day that, were, that they were victorious over Satan, then they would serve as what? Judges residing over Satan and his rebellion. So how many of you see what Satan has just done? He said, if you do this, then you'll be like gods or judges, knowing good and evil. All he was trying to do was pervert their judgment. So now, hey God, look, are these the ones... <laughs> Are these the kings that are supposed to judge me? And they've already fallen under my throne and now how many parties are there? Two? What now, God? What now? And beloved, I love it because the gospel is about creating a third party. The gospel is about bringing a people from under Satan's rebellion who are of a sound mind, moral character, and those other things that we just saw that a juror must have in order to judge correctly. Notice God's covenant with Abraham. Genesis 17, 6 and 7, which is the the foundation of all covenants afterward. God says, and I will make thee exceeding what? fruitful. Does that remind you of what we read in Genesis when God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful? Well, when Adam and Eve failed and Jesus met them in the garden and said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between thy seed and your seed and we're going to have war here. I'm not going to let you just go to the enemy like that. I'm going to fight for you. In Genesis 17 he says, I will make thee, Abraham, exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of thee and What? Kings shall do what? Come out of thee and I will establish my covenant between me and thee. Why is God going to bring kings out of Abraham? Judges. Judges. I will lay thee before who? Speaking of Satan, I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee, that they may search you out. Notice how the New Testament puts puts it, but ye are a chosen generation. Who are a chosen generation? God's people. A what kind of a priesthood? A royal. What does royal mean? Kingly a kingly priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, he says, I make you a royal or a kingly what? Priesthood. Now, We'll remember this date, 1844. Remember that time, or remember the verse that we read in relation to this, and for those of you who don't remember this verse, we, we talked about it before in the meetings, the tapes are there. But in Daniel 7, 9, we saw there that God sets down these thrones, and it says there, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit. What did he do? He sat whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. Daniel 7, 9. It goes on to say, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. These are angels that we're talking about. It then goes on to say, the judgment was set and the books were opened. Now this is not... The judgment we're going to be talking about tonight. Even though we will be talking about this judgment tonight. This judgment we saw began in 1844. But question, let me ask you a question. What, pray tell, do you think this judgment is about? It is only God and the heavenly angels that are involved in this judgment. It is not the judgment we just read about in 1 Corinthians 6 where it says, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? You and I aren't judging angels now. So, what judgment, what must this judgment be about that began in 1844? What about God's people? Jury selection. Jury selection, beloved. In 1844, when, when, when God opens the books and the angels open the book, it is for the purpose of deciding who will be worthy to what? To judge. Who's going to be worthy to judge these matters? What are the requirements for a juror? Number one, he must be a law-abiding citizen of the country in which the trial Is to be held. Question. Where is the country. In which the trial is to be held. It's in heaven. Do we have any citizens of heaven here? Do we have any law abiding citizens of heaven here? What do we mean by law abiding? Abiding by the law of the commandments. Abiding by the fiery law of love. That came from the finger of God. And so the very first. Thing that we think about when we understand the judgment is that God is looking for jurors. He's looking. This is a jury selection. And the first thing they're going to ask is, is this man a law-abiding citizen of heaven? And beloved, as we have seen, when 1844 came and people beheld the heavenly sanctuary and saw there the law of God and all the commandments, including the witch, the fourth: that people had to make a decision on whether or not they were, con- they were going to continue to be what? Law-abiding citizens. Now, what do I mean by that? The Bible says that in a you know, God winks at our ignorance. Can you be a law-abiding citizen and be breaking a law and ignorant of it? Technically speaking, both of you are right. You know, if you weren't aware, let's say you're driving and you didn't see the speed limit. The sign said what? 65. And you're driving at 70 miles an hour because just previously the speed limit was 70. And you're continuing to go. How, are you legally a lawbreaker? Yes. <laughs> legally, you're a lawbreaker. Are you technically a lawbreaker? No, because it was done in what? In ignorance. Likewise, beloved, there are many people who are not keeping the law of God, who God still considers them technically law-abiding what? Citizens. They simply don't have the knowledge that you may have or somebody else may have. However, when light comes and you see that light and you say, well, I'm already a citizen. I'm not going to do it. What, it. what immediately takes place then? We are eliminated from being a what? A juror. Because now, instead of the principle of self-sacrificing love, Lord, whatever you want me to do, that I will do. Instead of that principle, now the principle of self-centeredness is revealed, saying, Lord, you know what? You may say this, but I'm just not ready. And I'm just not going to do it. And beloved, angels weep as they have to say, well, at least right now in his life, he's not prepared to be a what? A juror. What else? Must not have been convicted of a felony. Anybody in here ever been convicted of a felony? Everybody better raise their hand. Why? Because the Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. All of us have what? sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But praise God I mean the angel, God what are we going to do now? God says remember my son that's right when they confess and ask for forgiveness what kind of record do they have? A clean record so the judgment not only deals with are you a law abiding citizen but have you accepted the blood of Jesus Christ on your behalf to cleanse you from all your sins God is looking for some outstanding jurors, beloved. And it's all possible in Christ. They must be of a sound what? Mind. And all that simply means, beloved, is that we must be able through the word of God to discern between right and wrong. We must not be deceived by the enemy. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was in who? Christ Jesus. And finally, they must have a good moral character. Beloved, these are the requirements for the juror. Now, when God comes to earth the second time, it is to give judgment unto the saints. Listen, Daniel 7.22 tells us, Until the Ancient of Days came. Now, the verse we just read said the Ancient of Days did what? He sat. Now we read in Daniel 7.22 that the Ancient of Days does what? He comes, or he came, and what happens when he came? The Bible says, judgment is now given to who? To the saints. So you get that? At the second coming, judgment is given to the saints. In other words, the judgment that began in 1844 decides who the jurors will be for very good now Revelation 20 this is the millennium the Bible says in verse 1 and I saw an angel come down from the heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed for a little season. So here in Revelation twenty one through 3, we're told that something is going to happen where Satan is cast into this bottomless pit. And how long, is he, and how long will he be there for? For 1,000 years. The bottomless pit, the Greek word for that is abysos, meaning abyss, or a place without form and void. The question is, what is that abyss into which Satan is cast? Bible tells us in Isaiah 24, 17-22, Fear and the what? The pit and the snare are upon thee, O inhabitant of the earth, and it shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the what? Pit, and he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare, for the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth do shake. It says, the earth is utterly broken down, the earth is clean dissolved, the earth is moved exceedingly, the earth reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the hosts of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. What day is that when all this happens? When the earth reels to and fro like a drunkard. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice what this next part of this verse says. And they, that is all the wicked, shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be what? Shut up in the prison and after many days they shall be visited. Now... Take a wild guess. How long do you think those many days are? A thousand years. Very good. God here is saying that when I come again, it will be as though I take the wicked and cast them into the pit, which we're going to see is simply the earth. Cast them into the pit, and they're going to be held there as if they are in prison. For how long? One thousand years. And after many days, they shall be Visited. We're going to see why that is. Notice Revelation 20 verse 4. In that same chapter, it says, And I saw thrones, I saw what? Thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. Who are we talking about here? The saints, the jury. Judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and... What does that word reign mean? Rule, Kings. They lived and reigned with Christ. How long? A thousand years. Now, I want you to notice the event and we, We've spoken about this before. Let me just read this to you, uh, John 14, 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. This, this is Jesus speaking. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many what? Mansions, if, I were, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? Come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may what? Be also, question, when Jesus comes again, is he coming to set up a kingdom on this earth? According to what we've just read, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you where? Yeah. In heaven. And if I go, I'm going to come again and receive you unto who? Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So, beloved, all we're seeing here is that when Jesus comes again, he does not set up a camp here on this earth. He takes his saints back to where? Heaven. And the 1,000 years is spent where? In heaven. Very good. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, the Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the where? Clouds. Now, is God going to catch us up into the clouds to bring us right back down to planet earth? No. He's catching us up to take us to heaven. And it says, so shall we ever be with who? The Lord. Notice it doesn't say, so shall he ever be with us. No, so shall we ever be with, with him. All right. Notice again, Jeremiah 4, 24 through 27. Jeremiah says, I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no what? No man, and all the birds of the heaven were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the what? Presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. And then it says, for thus saith the Lord, the whole land shall be what? Desolate, yet will I not make a full end. So beloved, the bottomless pit spoken of here that Satan's going to be bound in is this earth that when, it, when Jesus comes again, it's going to be so desolate, it will be like it's without form and it is what? Void. This is the bottomless pit. Now, the verse we had read a little bit earlier in Revelation twenty said that the devil could deceive the nations no more. Why is that so? Is it because there are nations on earth going, "Ooh, man, glad the devil is now in this pit; we can go on and have life and have peace"? No, the righteous have been taken where to heaven. So the nations of the righteous are where in heaven. What about the nations of the wicked? Where are they? They're dead. The Bible says there was no man. all the cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord. So nobody is on earth. It's a desolate place. And Satan is trapped here on this earth for 1,000 years. Let's recap. 1844, what begins? Jury selection. The second coming of Jesus, what begins? Can't really see that too good, but jury, the jury, is brought into the where. Heavenly How many of you would like to go into the Heavenly courtroom? Beloved, all it is is the heavenly temple. You understand that, right? And, and we cannot enter the heavenly temple if we have not submitted ourselves to the law of that temple. Amen? And so, the second coming is where God comes to escort the jurors to the courtroom. Oh man, what an escort that's going to be, huh? What an, ex- what an escort. Also, Satan is Where? In prison. Now, doesn't it make sense that, uh, you know, I remember when Saddam Hussein was caught. Could they have had a trial on Saddam Hussein before he was imprisoned? Well, they could have. But it wouldn't have really meant a whole lot. You know, they can have a trial on Osama bin Laden right now. We can pronounce him guilty and all that. But what? It's not really going to mean anything. But beloved, now Satan has done all that he could do to destroy the jurors and God had his special jury protection plan. How many of you would like to be under the jury protection plan? (laughs) Beloved, God says, I'm going to protect my jurors as long as you remain my jurors. If you're not my jurors, if, you, if you're not willing to submit to me, if you're not willing to, to uh, submit to all the principles of a sound juror, then there's not much I can do to protect you from the deceptions of the enemy. But if you decide that you want to be a juror, then I've got you protected. The devil may even take your life, but guess what? I'm coming again, and I will resurrect you, and you will be in heaven for that judgment. Amen. The wicked are slain at Christ's coming, at the second coming. So, we've got the jury selection begins in 1844. We've got the second coming, which brings in the jury to the heavenly courtroom. Satan is imprisoned. The wicked are also imprisoned in the pit, in the ground, uh, in hell. Not a burning place, but in the grave. All right. now, it says, But the rest of the dead, Revelation 25 and 6, The rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were," were what? We're finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death has no power, but they shall be what? Priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So now we've got two things going on here. Priests and kings. I will lay thee before kings. This was, I can imagine Satan's mind Lay me before kings. What kings could he possibly be talking about? And beloved, as time goes on, Satan realizes who those kings are. He realizes that those kings are his downfall. And if he can destroy those kings, if he can keep those kings busy, if he can cause those kings to disqualify themselves, stalemate will go on forever and ever and ever. See how important these kings are? Very important, beloved. Revelation 1, 5 and 6. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our our sins in his own blood. And has made us what? Kings and priests. Why? Because kings and priests must be clean. They must be pure. And so he washes us. He takes you and I, filthy, corrupt, can't tell our right hand from our left hand, dummies, everything you can call us. And he washes us up, beloved. And then makes us kings and priests. And says, I'm going to lay Satan before your feet. Has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 1, 5 and 6. Why priests? Why does God say that we must be a priest in order to be part of the jury? Well, notice Ezekiel twenty two twenty six. 26. The Bible says there, her priests... Have violated my law. What should a priest do? A priest should have a knowledge of the what? Of the law. How many of you want to be priests and kings with Christ in heaven? Well the Bible tells us if we're going to do that. We should have a knowledge of the law. A priest should have a working knowledge of the sanctuary. Amen? A priest should be able to understand what the sanctuary is about. And I'm not saying that if you don't understand a sanctuary. You know you're lost. Far from it. What I am saying is that the principle of the sanctuary. Self-sacrificing love must be written on your heart. So that when truth is brought to you, you immediately say, ah, no problem, I'll do it. That's the principle. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the what? Profane. A priest is supposed to be able to tell the difference between the holy and the profane, between good and evil. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. These are the roles of a priest. They're supposed to be able to tell you, oh no, don't do that, that's unclean. Yeah, that's clean, that's good, that's not. And have hidden, notice this, and have done what? Have hid their eyes from my sacks. Wow. And I am profaned among them. Beloved, if you don't see the significance of this verse, God is trying to warn us that the enemy of souls is out to destroy the kings, destroy the jurors. And if he can get us to hide our eyes from the Sabbath and go, huh, I didn't know that. If he can get us to go, well, you know what, Uh, that's yours, but you know, I do this my way. What does my way mean? The law of self-centeredness. That's what's happening. So the priests that are in heaven, that are part of the juror, are those who say, Lord, thy will be done and not what? Mine. It doesn't matter what it costs me. Thy will be done, not mine. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted my what? The sanctuary. They have done violence to the laws. Zephaniah 3 and verse 4. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no what? Priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. You want a blessing for your children? Do you want a blessing for your children? God said, you keep my law, I'll bless your children. You forget my law, you hide your eyes from my law, and you're saying, I don't want you, God, to be king over my prosperity. I don't want you to be king over my future line. I want another king over my future line. Why kings? Proverbs 16, 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. We're not talking about kings of kingdoms here, beloved. We're talking about kings over our own spirits. We're talking about kings over our own anger. We're talking about kings over our own frustrations. God says If you want to be a juror, you must actually know how to overcome your sins. You can't be a juror. Remember, no felony. You you must be of good moral character. And God says here that his kings are those who have subdued the carnal nature. In their own strength? In whose strength? In God's strength. Revelation 21, 321. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He says, when you overcome your own carnal nature, your carnal mind, which says, I don't want to do God's will, not now, some other time, later, when you overcome that, he says, now you're a king. Now you are ready. You are a priest, you're a king, and you are ready to be a juror. Revelation twelve eleven, They overcame him by the what? Blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. In other words, it didn't matter how the devil challenged them and threatened them. They said, I will follow Jesus. No matter what you do, devil, you can take my job. You can take anything you want. But I am going to follow Jesus. They could not be bought or sold. Is it important for a juror not to be bought or sold? Yes. It is very important, beloved. And what the devil will often do is he will say, listen, tell you what, I'll give you this and this and this if you just don't follow Jesus now. If you just refrain from following Jesus now, I'll bless you with this. What he's trying to do, beloved, is he's trying to buy you and sometimes he he will use your very own family to do it. Look, you're not getting along with your wife, you're not getting along with your kids, listen, I know you know what is biblical and what is true, but you know what? If you just A, B, C, D, and E, things will be so much better in the home. Because he wants to buy you to prove that you are not fit to be a what? A jury. Now, what is the number that the jury is based on? Twelve jurors. Isn't that interesting? Come on, man. You got to think with me. Come on. 144,000, beloved. God is calling the jurors and all who are saved are part of the jury. In other words, you don't have the option of saying, you know what? I don't want to be a juror, but I'll see you there anyway. No, beloved. Only the jurors make it into the temple. 12 tribes, 144,000. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him. Remember we said the number 12 represents what? Service. Serve him day and night in his what? Temple. What are they doing in his temple? They're judging. Satan is bound on this earth and the kings that are in the temple are judging, are beholding, are searching Satan out. In heaven, beloved, we are going to see, you know, you might think, wow, I've learned some really incredible things about what took place in heaven. But, beloved, when we get there to the temple, God is going to show us things that we we have no clue about. How the rebellion took place. Why it took place. How long God and Jesus pleaded with Lucifer before they finally decided that he had to go. We're going to see things that are just going to blow our minds. But you can't see it if you're not part of the, the jury. And let me add here that the, million, the, the millennial temple is where, beloved? It's in heaven. It's not here on earth. Most people are teaching that the, God's going to set up this temple here on earth for a thousand years. No, from everything we've seen, the temple, the, the judge, the courtroom is in heaven. God is bringing us to heaven. He's not setting setting up his temple here on earth while it's all desolate and destroyed. No way. Now notice Revelation 27 and 8. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Why? Because the wicked have been resurrected. Satan now has people attempt again. And it says he shall be loosed out of his prison. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog. Some people say, well, that's Russia. No, 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 that's China. Beloved, it's right there in the text. Four quarters make one whole. Gog and Magog represent the Whole earth. Simple. Why? Because all who are upon the earth are those who were the wicked. So Gog and Magog simply represents the wicked. Gathers them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So at the end of the millennium, the city of God begins to come down out of heaven. Why? Because the judgment has been finished or finalized. And now the wicked are raised. Why are the wicked raised? To have their sentences, what? Read to them. You can't destroy a person and he doesn't know what he's done. They're in hell. Why are you in hell? Man, I don't know. I thought I was a pastor. I thought I was doing good. Ooh. No, beloved, they're in prison, in the pit, and you don't execute judgment until you read the guilty, their what? Sentence. Can you imagine being in hell, burning, and then you wonder for thousands of years, what are you doing here? You thought you were doing well, and then God says, oh, by the way, you're burning because A, B, C, and D, and then throws you back into hell. That's not justice, that's not judgment, at all. And so, the, the wicked are resurrected to have their sentence read to them. Revelation 20, 11 recaps, and it says, Then I saw a great white throne. This is as the city of God is ascending. I saw a great, great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and books were what? open." And another book was opened, which is the Book of Life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Two judgments, beloved. One is for the jury, which began in 1844. The second one begins when Jesus comes again, where he takes a jury to heaven. And now the jury are the ones that judge Satan and his angels. Not only do they judge Satan and his angels, saints will also judge the world. In that same verse, 1 Corinthians 6.3, the Bible says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Are we judging the world now? No. When does this judgment take place? In heaven during the millennium. Not only are we going to judge Satan and the fallen angels, but we're also going to judge those who resided under his throne. Now, beloved, let me share with you why we judge the world. Why the saints will judge the world. And this is perhaps, you know, as I was putting this together, I was like, Lord, have mercy. I mean, it it hit me in a way that I, I really can't explain. The one reason why this world will be judged. God raised us up to be kings. Every one of us in this room to be kings. Every one of us on this planet to be kings. To lay saying before us, to be a juror for, for the biggest trial of the ages. Not only to be jurors, but to repopulate heaven. And you know what many people are doing today? No, nope. I got something else to do. I'm not concerned. Not Don't want to hear it. Now, go to somebody else. Beloved, people are skipping out on the duty that God has raised them up for. And beloved, as I think about this, it is a terrifying thing in my own mind that people do not realize what they're doing when they say, stop right there. I don't want to hear anymore. People do not realize what they're doing when they are revealing themselves to be incompetent to judge. Incompetent to be a juror. Not that we should be going around judging people now, but simply living under the principles that God has given us so that we can fulfill His service for us. And people are saying, I don't care. The Bible says many are what? Called, but few are chosen. Why? Why are few chosen? Because few choose. You get that? Few are chosen because few choose. Few choose to follow God. Few choose to put everything else on the back burner and say, Lord, this is the most important thing. The trial of the ages. This is the most important thing. I believe that you're innocent. I want to show myself a good juror because this is important. Few people care about the dilemma that this universe is in. And so they are rejecting God's call. They're saying, "Not now." They're rejecting the call of God upon their lives, beloved. And also they're supporting the terrorists. Who are the terrorists? Satan. And we're supporting the terrorists. What do you mean supporting the terrorists? Beloved, by by living according to and promoting their principles, you support these satanic terrorists. By living according to the principles of Satan's world, my will and not thy will be done. You're simply promoting his government, his form of rulership. And as we submit ourselves to his throne and say, self-centeredness and not self-sacrificing love, we're going to be judged, beloved. Once Satan is found out to be wrong, once Satan is judged, all who are under him, all who are under his government, all who aided and abetted with his schemes, whether they knew it or not, they simply said i 'm just not going to take the time to find out. Poor judgment, a refusal to, to, to be properly informed. All right, I think I can do this on the day of atonement Leviticus sixteen seven and ten The Bible talks about taking two goats and presenting these goats before the Lord. One was to be the scapegoat, and one was to be the Lord's goat. That's Leviticus 16, 7 and 10. You can read that, write that down. These two goats, one was to represent Jesus Christ. The other one was to represent Antichrist, Satan. How was the priest to choose between these two goats? He had to cast lots. He couldn't just say, okay, I'm going to choose that one. That's the Lord's goat. That's uh, Satan's goat. No, he had to choose lots. It was practically impossible to tell the difference between these two goats, which was to be the Lord's and which was to be God's. Now, what's the significance of that? The Bible tells us, let me read this part of the verse here, but the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, he shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him, and he shall be let go in the, where? Wilderness. Remember that. On the cross, Matthew 27, 15 to 17, how many of you remember, I'm not going to read this, how many of you remember the story of Jesus and Barabbas? Jesus is brought, and uh, Pilate brings Barabbas and Jesus before this this crowd, and uh, they've got to choose between the two. Which one do you want to release? Now, you'll catch the significance of that when you realize that the the name Barabbas simply means Bar, son of, and Abba, father. So watch this now, beloved. On one side, you've got who? The Son of the Father. And then on the other side, you've got who? The Son of the Father. And the people are asked to make a choice between which Son of the Father they want to what? They want to let go. One represented Christ, one was Christ, and the other symbolized Antichrist. Why is that so important to understand, beloved? Because very simply, the Bible tells us That Satan himself appears as an angel of what? Of light. And beloved, Satan today is appearing in many forms as an angel of light. He's appearing in many churches, not physically, but through teachings. And these teachings seem to be Christian or biblical teachings. But beloved, if we would simply open up our Bibles and begin to discern or read the Word of God, we would see, oh wait a minute that's not true, that's not the way God's government is, hey God doesn't burn the wicked forever and all these principles that we begin to find in the word of God when we learn to discern between good and evil God says now there's a good judge there is a good juror, he reads the word of God and he checks things out he doesn't just go well that's what I believe for all my life and nothing you say is going to change that can God use a juror like that no way, beloved, that would be a pretty dangerous juror. And so God says, "I want you not to just say, "Hey, you know I'm going to do what I want to do. Look, only by the word can we avoid being deceived." The Bible says in Second Peter 1:19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you should take heed, as unto a light that shines in the dark place until the day dawn and the day star arises in your heart." Beloved, it is by the word of God that we avoid being deceived. It is by the word of God that we discern that which is true and that which is false. Leviticus 16, 20 to 21 simply tells us, you can write this down, simply tells us that this scapegoat was to be taken out into the wilderness all the sins were to be put on him and he was to be—he uh, uh, was to bear the burden of all the sins. And beloved, the Bible tells us that in the last days, the devil that deceived the whole world will be cast into where? The lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And we already know what forever and ever means, right? Very good. Therefore when I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. And the Bible says he will never be any more. Beloved, the millennium is about that judgment that Satan does not want to take place. And if he can destroy the jurors, there can be no what, no judgment. How do you see how precious you are in God's sight? God is not concerned like who's going to get me off the hook. That's not what God is thinking. God wants to continue on with His creative work. God wants to to, to move on and get sin behind Him, beloved. But He's waiting on you and I to make up our minds. Am I going to serve Him? Or am I going to say, wait another day, Jesus. I've still got some more things to take care of. Let me close with this. How many of you would like to know that if you were on trial and your life depended on it and they could not find jurors because all the jurors were busy and there you are sitting in jail knowing that you're innocent and waiting and waiting and waiting and the jurors are saying, hey, Got to go take my boat out today. Can't do it. Well, got to go do this today. Can't do it. How would you feel as you sat in jail waiting for someone to care about your situation? Beloved, imagine how Jesus feels as he sees so many people throwing away their own lives, not realizing what they're doing. I want to ask you today to consider your standing. Will you be a juror for Jesus Christ?